the IMDb Journey podcast where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson and I will not be accepting any free plane tickets ever. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and there is no amount of money you could pay me to go to prison for someone else's crimes. And today we'll be breaking down the 2014 Argentinian anthology film, Wild Tales. Dean, how you been on this uh, somewhat windy day down in Melbourne, Australia? Yeah, it is very windy. Um, I've been good though, despite the windiness of the day. How have you been? Yeah, just another day, lots of work, nothing spectacular. That's good. I noticed that you've started decorating the studio up a bit. Yeah. There's a few movie posters. Yeah, we better spruce up this place. It's uh, looking quite snazzy now. I'm a little concerned with your choice of movie posters, I must say. Well, I have limited choices. So, we'll start off. We've got Moonraker. <laughs> I'm a James Bond fan. Of all the James Bond posters you could have put up. That's the one Moonraker. I have. What are the other two? What else we got here? Blade Runner, one of your favourites. Yep. <laughs> Even though you're not a fan of that movie, yep, it's good. Do you want to see what's on the back of these? It's a nice <laughs> poster. <laughs> and what's the other? Okay, then we've got the respectable Terminator 2 yep, got in that. 3D. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you want to if you want to get out there and get me a nice new poster of one of my favourites, you're more than welcome to. Wow. But for now, I'm going to stick with these. Okay. Well, at least it can only get better from here. That's right. So be sure to stick around after the breakdown where I've got a new segment to reveal to yourselves and as well as Dean himself as well as a surprise announcement, too. We'll also be talking about a couple of other films we've seen recently, including Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, Phantom Thread, and the newest Marvel film, Black Panther. If you'd like to follow along on this journey, then please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes and most other podcast apps on iOS and Android. Just search for IMDb Journey or click on the links in the show notes. And if you really like us, we would appreciate it if you would give us a good rating and review to help us get our name out there. We'd love to see this podcast grow and expand its listenership. Yeah, we're also out there on social media too. You can follow us on Twitter at IMDB Journey and on our letterbox page. Just search for IMDB Journey there too. You can also follow us on our personal pages. I'm on Twitter at MementHendo and Dean is at Dino underscore J88. Rather simple name. What is MementHendo? Is that like a play on Memento? Sounds good, doesn't it? Better than is, is Dino that, underscore J88. Rolls right off the tongue, mate. Is it meant to be me- Memento? Mementendo? Yes, that's what I said. <laughs> okay. I'll also post links to all these in the show notes too. All right, so it's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast. What has been going on with the IMDb Top 250? All right, so we, I have noticed that Interstellar has moved over American History X from 30 to 31. We've seen City Lights move over Casablanca. Coco has gone down from 39 to 49, just gradually dripping down there. Cinema Paradiso has moved over Sunset Boulevard. Citizen Kane uh, takes the step over Dangle. I really think I'm saying that wrong every time we talk about that movie. We'll talk about the pronunciation of that once we actually start watching it. The pronunciation. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Amadeus moved two spots over Lawrence of Arabia and Clockwork Orange to 83. 2001 A Space Odyssey moved over Full Metal Jacket, a little Stanley Kubrick showdown there. And Bicycle Thieves moves two spots over Toy Story 3 and Inglorious Bastards to number 96. Who is voting for Bicycle Thieves? In Have the you last seen two Bicycle it? Thieves? No. Well, who are you to judge? But, like, seriously, how many people actually watched it and rated it in the last two weeks? You're talking about the billions and billions of people out there. How many do you think could have watched it in that time? Three. <laughs> that might have been enough. Literally dozens of us. <laughs> it might have been right on the edge. All it needed was that one little 10 out of 10. 
So out of the top 100 here, we see that Blade Runner has dropped again from 127 to 144. Call Me By Your Name has dropped as well from one... Hold on, when you say Blade Runner, do you mean the original oh, or Oh, my apologies. Uh, yeah, Blade Runner 2049. Sorry, I'm just staring at this bloody Blade Runner <laughs> poster. I'm like, are you talking about that? We're getting it's confused. It's a big jump for a, a bloody 30-year-old movie. Uh, Call Me By Your Name went down from 170 to 183. Good. Stalker went up from 206 to 197. Dunkirk has dropped down yet again. It's gone from 217 to two, 234. So See you later, it might be out there very soon. And out of the top 250 now is Thor Ragnarok. Fanny and Alexander and Gangs of Wasapar have gone out. And in their place, we have The Legend of 1900, Dog Day Afternoon, and Three Colors Red is back in there. Seems these, these five-odd movies are going to be bouncing back and forth in and out. So let's wait and see. What, which ones we're going to end up watching when we finally get to that. <laughs> yep, as always, just uh, be on the lookout for spoilers. We will be spoiling everything in this movie, Wild Tales. So if you haven't seen it, please go out and watch it before you listen to the podcast because we will be giving everything away. Yep, and with that being said, let's get into Wild Tales. So, Wild Tales, directed by Damien Sivron. Uh, sorry. I butchered uh, that, <laughs> for sure. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. What, what do you think it is? Uh, I'll say it's Damien Sivron. Oh, you're so cultural there with your Damien Sivron. It's definitely Damien. It's Damien. It's D-A-M-I-A-N, which with is Damien. It's got that little thing above its A, so it's like... You've a- got a little thing above your A. <laughs> oh... Okay, we're gonna, we're that gonna worked do really like, well. We're gonna be like that, are we? <laughs> so, uh, since it's an Argentinian film, there's not many uh, actors that I recognise from it, but I do recognise one, and that is Ricardo Darín. Really? Yes. What uh, from? The Secret in Their Eyes, which is also on the top 250 as well. He's, is that he's basically an Argentinian movie. It is. He's basically what he's like the Robert De Niro of Argentina. So he's he's like the big star over there. So if you're gonna watch an Argentinian film, chances are he's probably gonna be in it. And with a budget of $3.3 million, roughly, it got a cumulative worldwide gross of $36.3 million. Wow, that's massive. Yeah. And being that it is a foreign film, it wasn't really recognized at the Academy Awards. It did get nominated for Best Foreign Film. Well, I think that's, like, for the way the Oscars are done, yeah. getting, getting that nomination for Best Foreign Film is pretty much as good as it's going to get. Uh, Although there have actually, been a few, there winning have been a would few. be the best thing it could do. Unfortunately, it didn't do that. It lost to Polish film Ida. Oh, Ida, yeah. <laughs> but it was nominated for 21 awards at the Argentinian Academies. 21 awards. How many categories are there in those awards? Not only... Only 20. They made one up <laughs> for this movie. <laughs> best Wild Tales film. <laughs> best anthology film. There you go. Best anthology film called Wild Tales. <laughs> It actually won Best Film of the Year. It won Best Director. It won Best Actor. Are you going through all 21? No, I'm going through the ones that it won. Who got Best Actor? Oscar Martinez, the father in the the deal, the proposal. Oh, okay, yep. Yep. It won Best Actress for... The Wedding. Yep, The Bride. Best Supporting Actor for the Groundskeeper in the proposal as well, the deal. Jesus. It won Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Music, and Best Sound. And nominated for many others. 
Very good. And with an 8.1 rating of over 126,000 ratings, it's currently sitting at number 185 on the top 250. Very impressive. So we're going to introduce a new segment into the podcast now. It's going to be called My Favourite Scene. And obviously, Dean and I have got a favourite scene each from this film. So as we go along with this movie, when we get to our favourite scene, you'll hear the... Excellent! And we'll start talking about our favourite scene of the film. I can't wait. Definitely inspired by the great scene in Once Upon a Time in America. That is actually true, yeah. Noodles <laughs> are slipped. <laughs> yes, that is actually true. That's um. So when we talked about that, we decided, oh, why don't we do that for every movie? Every so, movie. So let's uh, let's get into it. All right. Do you have a summary there today, Hendo? I do have a summary. I guess it's my turn. So Wild Tales is an anthology film about six dark stories involving six savage situations full of revenge, either accidental or intentional, dangerous and unexpected arguments or misunderstandings, suspicious conversations and deals, which change the lives of people who are involved in them including a plane ride gone bad, a chance meeting with someone from the past, a deadly case of road rage, a man who takes matters against the government into his own hands, a hit-and-run accident that turns into a bout of extortion and tough decisions, and a wedding that goes completely pear-shaped after secrets of infidelity are revealed. How do you think of that plot summary? How do I think of it? How do you feel about that, more likely? <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, it doesn't stir up too many feelings. Oh, disappointed. No, it was, it I was, failed. It was very good. I'm just, I'm curious what the accidental revenge is. The accidental revenge. Why don't we get into that, shall we? So how we're going to do this, we're going to go through each story one by one and just have a discussion about all of them and then tie it all together at the end. Yep. So we'll start off with the first story. That it's, makes sense. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Called Aeroplane. No, it's called Pasternak. Oh, it's close. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you have called these stories, and I've got oh, the actual names of these stories. Yeah, they're not that funny. <laughs> what do you think of Pasternak? I thought it was effective in setting up um, the overall tone of the film and how each sort of story would fit into the anthology. Yeah, ultimately, though, I did feel it was probably too short to have any real impact. You sort of you sort of get the reveal that everyone knows him and something bad's going to happen. Then straight away, it's it's ended. Well, I think that's kind of the purpose of this story. I mean, if you did you notice that each story actually is longer in length every time? Like this one starts off at like seven eight minutes, where the final one is like half an hour. Each one is longer after the next, which like yeah, the it final kinda, one's like forty minutes. It kind of gets you more invested into the characters as you go. And this this uh, story is kind of. It's just setting it up. It's getting, like you said, it's getting the tone, like this dark comedic tone. Like you do, like what did you think of the freeze frame when the plane like crashes into the parents? Did you laugh? That's the way. It, that's the way it ended with this plane just about to hit oh, them when no. they're like, you know, huddled over. No, I was surprised because whilst I have seen this movie before, probably not that long ago, probably what two years ago. No, it would have been. Would have been about a year because I made. A I, year. Yeah, I made you watch this about a year ago. Okay, so. Like, I I did not remember a lot from this, so, like, I wasn't expecting the freeze frame. I mean, it's... It's different. Like, I, obviously, I'd rather the freeze frame right before than... The actual, actual image of yeah, them getting actual, crushed. <laughs> actually seeing the explosion. And, um, yeah, I think, as I said, that does help with set up what's, what's, what you're about to see for the rest of the film. But you have to kind of laugh at it because it is how far-fetched is it that this guy just drove this plane right into the the direct spot where his parents are sitting at that point? How did he even know that, that they were going to be there? It's that ludicrousness about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, very... I mean, obviously unrealistic, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, it just... It didn't really have much of an impact on me. Like, it's... It sort of started by the time I was starting to get, you know, into it. Uh, up come the opening credits. I'm like, oh, okay. Get next you, one. Get you into the next one. Yeah. I did like how they put that little bit of extra detail in that the ticket was paid for by a company. Like, yeah. At the very start yeah. with the with the woman at, at the desk. Yeah. Yeah. And then you find out. Because if they didn't say that, they didn't bring it up, it would have been like, that's a very strange coincidence that they all managed to be on this plane. Yeah, but they did talk about it. Um, like, did anyone buy their tickets? No, yeah. they didn't. So... Who did you... Uh, as I was having a look into this film, I heard a lot of people saying that Pasternak was the pilot. But yeah. He, he's not. He's, he's the not... stewardess. He's the, he's the... He goes... You see... You actually see him walk past and go into the into the cockpit. How do you know it's him? They mention it. He's the, he the stewardess. They didn't say he's a pilot. Who says he's the stewardess? Go, if you go... Okay, when it, they go back. If you go back and watch it, they mention that he was like part of the... So how does he know how to fly the plane? He doesn't. He flies the plane into the ground. Anyone can do that. But he's obviously organised it to hit his parents. <laughs> and, you're, and you're taking this seriously. This is a comedic thing. This guy flew, flew this plane into his parents' back backyard while they were sitting there. He's not the pilot. If you go back and watch it, he you see him go past, go into the cockpit, and then all of a sudden... But how would how would no one on the plane have recognised him? Do we, do we need to have a quick freeze, like pause, and go and check this out? Do you want to? Yes. Okay. We'll be back in after these short messages. <laughs> All right. So we're back. We just had a look at the film and the, the female stewardess mentions that he is the cabin chief. Otherwise known as the pilot. Is that the Argentinian definition of a, of a pilot? Hold on. Let's pause. No, no. Let's just yes, look at it. Yes, it is. Let's just look at- <laughs> All right. If that's the case, then I do stand corrected. But I just I saw cabin chief and I'm like, that's not a pilot. That's the chief of the cabin. <laughs> I don't know. So, what did you think of the stills of these wild animals for the, the for the title cards that came up? Bit cheesy. You didn't see any significance to these animals, and how each actor that came up with it was a, a test oh, attributed God, attributed to each of these animals. No. What did you find in the opening credits? Yeah, I felt like they were attributing these wild animals to these. These characters that are in the film, like it's when wild animals are pressured into these kinds of things, they they go to their natural primal instincts, and depending on each animal that was represented, that's how they reacted. Like, for example, with the um, the bride is represented by the tiger, I believe. The yes. Bengal, yeah, and you can see why she would be related to that, like a as some sort of predator of nature. Fierce. Yeah, that becomes like a fully aggressive when she needs to, which is exactly mm. what happens in her story. Mm. And that's just... Like, for example, the main, the main guy in the, bo- the, the bomber, the demolition guy, he's represented as a hawk. Yeah. And you can kind of... Like, we, like we should really be talking about these in the other stories, but, but he, he sort of has this watching his prey, like as when, he, when he's sitting there watching the, tr- watching the tow truck go past ready to be bombed. He's just... He's, he's set his sights. No, you don't of, think so? Bit of a stretch. Well... I mean, it's you... called Wild Tales and they obviously have released promotional um, material that does depict each character as a certain animal. I, just, I mean... Yeah, I guess. You've got the... I mean... You've got the chef as the gorilla. Yep. Explain that one to me. Well, I kind of see that one as a... Like a blood for blood. Like protecting your... Protecting, protecting your family, like what she does with the with the 
the waitress. Hey, at least I've got some information here. Well, I th- yeah, okay. I mean, but you got you got the um the father in the proposal as the shark. Well, what do you think that means? I don't know. I just is he the shark? I sort of feel like he was sort of getting taken advantage of for most of it. I can't imagine a shark getting taken advantage of. Anyway, let's move on from this. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the second story. Wait, before which... we do that, have, did you rank these stories? Yes, and I shall reveal my rankings at the end. No, you don't want to go do it as we go? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> so after the title credits, we end up into the second episode, a second story, I guess. Story. It's actually entitled The Rats. What did you think it was called? Cafe? Cafe. <laughs> What do yeah. the rats have to do with anything? Obviously, I know the answer to that. There's rat poison. Yeah. And the rat is signifying the gangster bloke. Because he's a rat. He's a dirty rat. Oh, dear. So, what are your thoughts on this story? Uh, not not really a lot, I think. You're going you're gonna to say all your rankings at the end. For me, personally, this is the worst of the six for me. I just, uh, I don't know. I just wasn't too invested with it. Yeah, this is the worst for me as well. Yeah. Um, I remember actually the first time I watched it, after it, afterwards I went back and ranked them um, just based on memory and I actually left this story out because oh, I really? <laughs> I'd completely forgotten it. It is probably the more forgettable one. It is so forgettable. Well, I think it's also because it's wedged in between the plain one, which is what you really mentioned, like which what you talk about. It's, it's quite memorable. And the the road rage story, which I think is, you know... Quite a, like when if you were to talk to someone about oh what's Wild Tales oh six stories oh there's one where these two got blokes have a, a fight on the side of the road you're mm. gonna say oh there's this one in a cafe and this waitress re- remembers this guy from Bird like oh my god like this is really gonna captivate someone to watch the film yeah was this was there supposed to be some sort of moral dilemma here for us like are we supposed to waver between who's right and wrong between this chef who's not, out of prison and this and this guy who not really because they never give this guy any redeeming qualities whatsoever ever. They do everything they can to make sure that the audience hates this guy. There's nothing to like him. What about when the sun comes into it? He's still a massive yes, asshole. But do you think that oh, they really shouldn't kill this guy? You know, with his son there. I mean, yeah, but I think it was more: is the sun going to get poisoned? Was the dilemma not should they not kill him? I think it was more when the sun came out. I was, I, I genuinely couldn't remember if the sun got poisoned. And yeah, me died too. As well. Yeah, I forgot about that. I didn't know whether he lived or died. Turns out he lived, which is good for him, I guess. But unfortunate for the ex-gangster who gets knifed in the back by this crazy chef. Mm. I like the line that she does say in a different language, so I can't bring the clip up for this. But she does say... You Ever- should bring it up for all our Argentinian listeners. Actually, you know what? I might put it in. Which translated to English means everyone wants these guys to get what they deserve, but no one is willing to lift a finger. And I think this is kind of the motto for the movie as well. Like a lot of these stories have something to do with that. Of people wanting to get revenge and not lifting a finger. Everyone wants these guys to get what they deserve, but no one's willing to lift a finger. And these are the people who are lifting the fingers to get these things done. You got the chef, you got the the guy, uh, the guy. <laughs> you got you got the demolition expert who bombs, who takes it out on the government. You, ba- I guess, you got the bride who takes it out on her groom for cheating on her. Doesn't she take it out on the waiter? I think the waiter takes it out on her. <laughs> hey, <yo. laughs> 
What are we doing? I don't know. Let's move on. Yeah, I didn't really... I wasn't really invested in this one. I, I thought it was the weakest of the six. Uh, I did like how the transition from this story to the next one was quite smooth. Like this, It ends with the police car driving off and then without any notice, it's it cuts to the next one of a car driving down the road. And I didn't even realize that it had changed. And I think that's what makes what separates this, I guess, from all your other, I guess, bad anthology films, like all those horror films, like VHS and all that, is because there's no, they don't really distinguish between the stories. There's no title cards for these stories. It's kind of meshed all into one as it goes along. Whereas all the all these other other films, they do come up with their titles directed by this person, directed by that. And I think as well, like as well as that, this movie is directed by the same person. Every single story is by the same person. Mm. So. He keeps he keeps the the themes and connections quite close because he is he himself is doing these stories. It's not just a, you know one from this person and one from this person, not really connected at all. Yeah, and yeah, so it's much less a collection of short stories or short films, and more you know a a you know a greater film, an, an overarching film with the with similar themes throughout. Yes. So that being said, let's get into the next short film. Which is called the Jewel with Cars. Jewel with Cars. No, it's called the Strongest. Have you seen Jewel? I have not. Have you seen Jewel? Yeah, I have. Oh, what? What? How does that go in comparison to the Strongest? Um, I think I prefer Jewel with Cars. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it's much shorter. <laughs> anyway, getting into yeah. what's it called? Stronger. The Strongest. The Strongest. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this one, Dean? Um, I really like the music on this one, actually. You know, kind of 80s-esque and sort of um, sort of haunting as well as you sort of see this car down this this sort of um, one stretch of road. There's no other cars in sight at this point. No, no, I just felt it was a bit foreboding of what was to come. Yeah, fair enough. I couldn't help but with this with this story and this flashy guy and his you know his nice car and that when he starts to I guess after the incident has happened, the guy is like smashed up his car and he's ready to take off. I'm sitting there going, like you can see in his eyes, he's going to do something. Mm. And you're like, just don't do it, don't do it, man. Yeah. Like, just, just drive away. Just dri- yeah. <laughs> just, you, you can live your life happily. Yeah. If just you move just on. Just keep going. But no, and that's where those primitive instincts come in, and you know, smashes into the back of the car and drives off the bridge. And then you know, fair enough. He he drives off, but he turns around. It's like, I know, no. I know. He's already gone. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, just just leave, you dumbass. Also, why do you have to throw the wheel back in the boot? When the guy was climbing up the hill, he spent half his time oh. trying to throw the spare wheel in the bill. Let's get yeah. the fuck out of there. Yeah. I mean, it all builds tension, but yeah. I agree. Like, he did not need to struggle that much. Like, I mean, really risking his life for yeah. a spare tire. Exactly. But I, yeah, I must say, there was some genuine tension in this story as it went along, amping it up. And it, it, it got me. It was really good. And, you know, a quite humorous ending to this one, I might say, with the skeletons cuddled together and the, the police are saying, oh, it's a crime of passion. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I... I, I I really, really like this one. Yeah. Um, definitely the best of the first three. Yes, I agree there too. So let's move into... Wait, wait, wait. 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 What? You forgot about... Excellent! Oh! All right. <laughs> Dean's favourite scene. What is it, Dean? Okay, I felt like the the fight inside the car at the very end was fantastic. It was so claustrophobic. <laughs> Yeah, and, I, and I legitimately did not know, like, what was the outcome going to be. And even, like, it just kept going on and on and on and not in a negative way where you're sort of bored by it or feel like, oh, come on, you know, just get on to the next one. It's just, it was great. Like, 
you think he's out and then the seatbelt comes into it. He climbs in through the boot. It's just, I really did feel like this was the high point of this story and of the entire film, to be honest, this scene. Yeah, that's a good selection. It's uh, it's not my selection, but you know, I can see why you'd pick it. It was, yeah, a very good scene. So, are you, you done with that now? We can move on to the next story. Yes, we can. All right. So now we get into story four, Life Sucks. <laughs> it's actually called Little Bomb. God, that's worse than my one. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I I love this story. I, I I can You can see the gradual decline of this guy going into insanity, basically. It's very um falling down-esque. Did you ever see that? No, I didn't. It's pretty much the same sort of premise. It's got it stars Michael Douglas. I thought, it, yeah, Michael Douglas. Yeah. yeah, he's sort of sitting in the car in traffic in one day, and just something breaks. He loses it, gets out, and just says "fuck the world" and starts killing people. It's it's different. Jesus, it's good though. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought it was quite good how one wrong choice can lead you down a path you can't get back from, and which basically seems to be the overriding theme of this film. So plays quite well into this one. I love the slow-mo shot of everyone paying their fines together, just handing off the money to, you know, they're basically like machines churning money over to these government crooks, I guess. Just this is what we do. We pay all this money to them. And you can see the look on his face. He's just wide-eyed. Just You can see him just dipping down. And it's in this story where I have my... Excellent! Yes, my scene of the movie is in this story. And it's the whole encapsulating part of when he realises he's going to go and blow up this this tow truck yeah, building. Impound lot. Yeah, and you see him lift up the boot of his car and you get that flashing blue lights. And if you'd paid attention from before, like at the very start of this movie, the very start of the story, where he's used those flashing blue lights are the the bombs that he uses to detonate this huge building. So when he opens it up, you see the blue flashing lights, you're thinking, oh shit, he's got the bombs. And then you cut to him sitting in the cafe, just having a quiet croissant and coffee, and you just see the tow truck go past. And you're like, oh, they know, you know what's going on here. Yeah. And then you see him just watching it, just casual, like not a care in the world. Yeah. And then the tow the truck goes to the, the impound lot. Yep. And boom, the whole thing blows up. That fantastic. Love, love the way this whole scene played out with the music as well. Just the calmness of him doing something so harsh and awful. But he's he's at peace. He he's he's good to go. Yeah, I found the weirdest part about this story. Like I I liked it. Um, I don't know. I could. I yeah, it's not one of my uh, most favourite ones on this uh, film, to be honest. I did I did like it though, but I just felt like the ending was so weird. I felt like this. Like so far, these three these three episodes, yeah. these three stories have all ended up like in a really sour, bad note, like death. Mostly, actually, all death. Mm. Whereas this one, yeah, he ends up in prison, but I feel like it's somewhat of a happy ending. Like he's seeing his kid. He seems seems like he's on good terms with his wife again. Perhaps maybe even back together. I think from the look of it, the towing company had to pay for the damages, so they got what was coming to them. He'd become a real hero to the general yeah, population, even having the masses de- demand his release. And he's well liked in prison, as you can see. Everyone's there singing happy birthday to him. They're clapping for him. Pretty much what the crazy chef said earlier about everyone wants these guys to get what they deserve, but no one's willing to lift a finger. He's the one that did it. He's crowned as the champion. He is hailed as a hero to the common man. Okay, do you feel like he's in a better position in his life at the end of the movie compared to at the start of the story? You could say that he is because he... Do you think he is? 
Well, you can say no because he's in prison, but you can say yes because he's released himself from all these from these issues that he had. Constructs he's- of society. Because his wife, earlier on, says that he blames society for everything. So this is sort of him, you know, saying, fuck you to society, yeah. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, I think he's probably, you know, you sort of think, oh, he's in prison, he's in a worse situation. But I think he's happier in prison, being hailed as a hero, as you said, rather than where he is at the start, where he's just in this job that he seems so stressed out about with a wife that's quick to jump down his throat, like most are. And, you know, missing his kid's birthday party. He, you, This is the happiest he is in the movie. Like, Isn't this the only part of, part of the story that he's smiling? Does he smile at all throughout the rest of it? Obviously, not, the only part he would smile is when he's blowing up the building. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I could watch that one again. It's my favourite of the four so far. Would you ever watch any of these stories independently without watching the whole movie? I think you can watch some of these stories independently, but I think... You can also, like, obviously, with this whole movie, you can watch it as a whole because they all tie together. They're all mm. themed well. But you could probably watch one of these stories individually, for sure. I'd go back and just watch this this story, this, how, what, 20-minute story? Sure. I can't see uh, me ever doing that. For any of these? I'd watch the movie again. I would never pick out a story and watch it, no. Would you, would you skip a story? Would you watch this and, like, skip nah, the rats? No, nah, no. Nah, nah. well, rats it's like, it's like, it's 10 like, minutes. It's like 10 minutes, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I wonder what the DVD would be like on this. Is it like chapter one and two and three and four and five and six and that's it? Is there any chapters in between these stories? I don't know. <laughs> be a brief... Chapters, God. <laughs> Remember those things? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get on to story number five, which is entitled The Deal. Hit and run. Getting right to the point, are you? Yeah. All right, what did you think of this one, Dean? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought that the father was really, really good in this. Yeah. You know, you say he's in all these Argentinian movies. You can sort of see why. Like, he is... No, that's not who I was talking about. Oh, it's not? I was talking about the one in the last story. The guy who the, who's the demolition expert. Ah. Oh, okay. This is, well, the, this re- is the, the father in this one was the one who won the Best Actor Award at the Argentinian Academy Awards. For this film? Yes. Yeah. No, he is, he is really, really good in it. I, I did like The Lawyer a lot. And I, like, I really liked how you sort of realise at the end that the lawyer's playing them all with... Oh, yeah. I thought that was really clever. I didn't see that coming because you sort of see the lawyer as kind of the good guy for the family as in he's the one, take, he comes in, takes control. He reminded me of Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction. You know, yep, he just comes in and he fixes his problem. But you find and, out he's like double dealing all of them. Yeah, like yeah. He's, he's screwing all of them. And really, he he's not really putting anything at risk personally for him. And you can just see how the you know, greed just takes over so quickly. Like this, this groundskeeper, he's... He's he's got his money, but then he he just goes, no, I want more. No, I want a house. I want I want a million. Like yeah. it's which just... is fair enough. Like he's doing by far the worst thing. Oh oh yeah, for sure. Like like yeah, the police guy is risking his career and stuff. But like, come on, this guy's going to prison. This guy's going to prison for you know killing a woman and her baby. Yeah, unborn baby. Yes, unborn. Yeah, baby. unborn baby. So I just thought that I, I like the um. Was it Jose? He was yeah. he was good as well. He was. They're all very believable in this. It's you sort of see it, and it's a very real situation. Whereas you know you sort of see Jewel and oh, what's it called? Jewel, <laughs> the strongest, the strongest. And you're like, yeah, that's so entertaining, and you know all that sort of thing. But you know, like you, you really can't see that happening. Yeah, it's kind of comedic. You see the, I guess the redneck bloke stand on the car and take a dump on the, t- yeah. <laughs> on the, on the yeah. windscreen. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree there. I like I like the first opening shot of this story. 
the the car driving up and it zooms in on the busted license plate with the blood over it. As soon as you see that, that first you're like, oh shit, mm, like this is, this is a serious one here. And the story also brings up an interesting question that you kind of answered earlier. Like, how far would you be willing to go to protect your family? As from the dad? Yeah, from the dad. I mean, at the end of it, he's sort of putting a price on that, isn't he? You know, he's had yeah. enough. He's he's so sick of these people yeah. trying to scam him and he's got so much pride that he's sort of like, nah, it's not worth it in the end. Yep, exactly. But I want to talk about the end of this because I felt like... I felt like they made an interesting choice in showing that it was Jose who was walking out. How do you think it would have gone down if you'd seen a guy walking out with a hood over, you don't know who it is, and then you see him get hit with a hammer, and that's the end of the story? Oh, I don't know how I'd feel about that. Well, you think it'd be negative? Well, these sto- I think these stories need closure. You can't. You you want to move on to the next story. Having that, how can you say that when the very first story you don't know if these people get hit by the aeroplane? <laughs> they could have jumped out the way. You never know. <laughs> no, I think if they had it like that, where you didn't know who that was walking, who was walking out, and who got clubbed in the head, you'd be more spending more time thinking about that story than moving on to the next one. And I think you need to wrap these stories up. So to see that, I think that's the way to do it. I just felt like this could have used you know, a bit of a bit of interpretation, a bit of mystery at the end to say, oh, I wonder what, and sort of get people talking about it in that in that sense. Well, what do you think about the 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 fact that he gets in, like he gets clubbed in the hand, and you, and you and you just see the one hit, and then it goes to black, but then you hear the repetitive hits in the head that he gets from this hammer. So it's it's not ambiguous. This guy died. Oh yeah, yeah. So what do you feel about that? Like, is this saying the greed? Is, obviously, greed is a bad thing, and you're going to get punished for it. But the but the family, they've just gotten away with it now. They don't have to pay this guy his money. I mean, is Jose the, the, the lawyer, greedy one here? They're all the greedy ones. But at the end, the lawyer and the cop are going to get his share of the money. The the dad said you get a million split of the way you want it. Yeah, he's out of the picture now. They go off scot free. There's, there's no more. They they clean their hands of this. Yeah. So in the end, basically, the most innocent of them gets killed, and you got the corrupt lawyer and the corrupt cop who get the money. Yeah. And and the son gets away with it. What does this say? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I sort of feel like this son character wouldn't have been able to hold it together, to be honest. Sort of seemed like the sort of person who would turn himself in. Especially, I mean, he was racked with guilt already. Yeah. Now he's, you know, killed this guy, basically. Yep. There's two, three deaths. Yeah. On, like, I mean, hands. I feel like I feel like it would all be a bit much room. Yeah, it's an interesting ending, and yeah, it brings I, I, up a couple of good questions. Yeah, I did like this one. It did sort of prompt me to think a bit about, you know, like what I would do in that situation, and sort of where your, you know, your morale line sort of sits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, the biggest take I got out of this was how good would it be to have all these millions of dollars to be able to bribe everyone? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. he's the one really living the life. <laughs> So, where would you put this in the ranking of five so far? You will find out at the end when we go through our rankings. We know what all your other rankings are so far. Do you? Oh, no, you didn't say the one about the bomb one, did you? No. Okay. Well, for me, I would put this at number two at the moment. I think it's better than The Rats and Pasternak and The Strongest, but I think that Little Bomb was a better story. Fair enough. So now we get into our final story of the movie, which is entitled, I'm guessing Dean's going to say, The Wedding? No, Wedding. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually called Till Death Do Us Part. Okay, makes sense. What did you think about this one? 
Uh, I liked it a lot more the first time, to be honest. I felt like knowing where it was going, um, it did lose a lot of its uh, appeal, to be I honest. I completely agree. The first time I watched this, this was my favorite of yeah, the Yeah, me too. The, first time I watched this, this was definitely my favorite. Going back and watching it again, maybe I, mean, maybe I just knew in my head it was great and I had really high expectations, but I just felt like once you knew that... Yeah, you know, like, okay, she's going to find out about mm. the husband's infidelity. She's going to have sex with the waiter and then they're going to fight and get back together. It's like, okay. Trivial uh, question. Get but, to it. Trivial question, but isn't he a chef? He's got the chef's hat. Do we need to go look at this? No, no, you are right. Okay. It is trivial. All right, so we're even. One all. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, um, <laughs> just on this wedding theme, I thought I'd give a shout out to our good friends Beck and Alan on their recent engagement as well. Yes, congratulations. Yeah, I'm sure they they got their ears pressed intently on their headphones <laughs> waiting for us to say that. <laughs> nah, good on them. Let's hope they have a better wedding than this mob. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, I thought that the the music was a bit interesting in this one. Like, it's Titanium by Sia. It's a bit weird compared to all the other... Tu- like. Yeah, but... It is a wedding. A, it's a party. Yeah, it's, it's a wedding, but I thought it was nothing. Pl- no other story comes close to being, you know, this sort of upbeat, upbeat feel. And I think that that song "Titanium" is such a great party song. And when you hear it going at the start, it really does help to sort of show the ecstasy that these people are feeling, which greater emphasizes the crash later on. This might be a good story to start with when you're trying to show this to someone who doesn't like subtitle films. You put this one on first. It's playing a, an English song, and they're all just dancing like, "Hey, this is a good." <laughs> and then they start speaking Argentinian, and they're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the start of this, you can see that the groom, Ariel, Ariel? One of the two. Let's just say the groom. You can see the groom talking to that that woman, and the wife notices straight away and is super suspicious. Did you think that was odd? No, because she had that inkling from a while ago from that phone call, and she thought, why not? Calls, calls the number, and boom, it's her. No, from a while ago, he sees the she sees the huts well, the groom talking to another woman at their wedding. It's very weird how he's talking to her though. Why? It's not just a casual. She's sitting com- down and he's standing. No, up. it's not. A, it's not a casual conversation. Like he's got the arm on the shoulder, and then the way when he walks off, it's kind of like back, like a, a back off. Like there is something like, there. Why is she marrying him if she doesn't trust him? Do you see what this woman does? This woman is fucking crazy. Don't don't try and think about why did she do this? Why does she do that? Yeah, I love how this just this escalates so quickly. Like she sees that there's an issue. Like she sees there might be something here. She speak like she's talking to him on the dance floor. She finds out that he's been cheating on her, and then she runs upstairs and fucks the chef just out of nowhere. And then that speech that she gives him when he gets up there and says, "I'll take you for every penny you got. You'll be dead great. in the gutter." That and he just great. vomits everywhere. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I laugh so hard at that. You just realize, holy shit, I am fucked. Yeah. And even when they even when they come back down and they're dancing and she grabs the woman and spins her around and smashes her into the into the mirror. Mm. When I first saw that the first time, I was like, "Holy shit!" No. Like I burst out laughing. I thought that was hilarious. And the way it ends, is it a happy ending? Is yeah, it's kind of like isn't this what marriage is? Kind of you have be these big fights. Oh. Wait, listen to what I'm saying. Not me. No, you have these big fights, these big arguments, and you do, and like sooner or not, sooner enough, you you've made up. You you're good to go again. Obviously, this is at the higher spectrum of an argument, but the higher spectrum, <laughs> the highest, goes on in this house? the highest spectrum of an argument. <laughs> yes, but I think this is a happy ending. They've both cheated on each other. They've cancelled each other out. Is that how it works? Now let's go do it on the table in front of everyone <laughs> on the cake. Yeah, yeah. But I thought this was a bit of a very light-hearted comedic end to the movie, much like at the start where uh, where it bookends with the comedic. 
first story. Pasternak. That's right. And overall, I thought this was a rather fun story. Thank you for those insightful comments. Now, I do have that at number three on my list. Number three. I do as well. So, I'll go through my rankings quickly. We've all been dying to hear them. You've been teasing them since the start of the podcast. Calm down. Calm down, everyone. Here they come. Drum roll. Okay. So, the worst one was the cafe. (laughs) What's that called? The rats. The rats. Um, As we said, that was no good. Second worst one was Pasternak. Again, too short to get invested. Third worst, or fourth best, if you want to look at it like that, was Life Sucks, which was the bomb one. The bomb, yeah. Yep. Um, third one was The Wedding. Second best. Wait, wait. Wedding? Wedding. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> You're right. I don't know what which one I was talking about. Uh, second best, Proposal. And the best one is Jewel with Cars. Wow, that's your number one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's my number one. Well, you know, it's got your favourite scene in it, so... Makes yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely the number one. So to sum mine up, I kind of like you at the bottom here. I had the rats at number six. Pasternak was at number five. Uh, the strongest, the jewel with cars. As uh, your third worst, really? Third worst out of six. So yeah, it's my fourth favorite. You had a bit of a positive spin on it, Dean. So if it was at the Winter Olympics, it wouldn't have got a medal. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Yeah, so number three is Till Death Do Us Part. Number two was The Deal, and number one for me was Little Bomb. Fair enough. Okay, and that's going to do it for Wild Tales. Any last words? So, Dean, what are your final thoughts on Wild Tales? Oh, I thought we were done. <laughs> um, final thoughts. Okay, so it was a bit of a letdown on a second viewing, which surprised me, I thought, with its anthological um, format that it wouldn't be boring because there's so many short stories going through it. But I was a bit bored in parts, and to be honest, I probably wouldn't watch it again. I've watched it twice. It's good. It's not great. I am surprised on another viewing at how highly rated this movie is. Maybe just because it's so different to almost every other movie I've seen, but it, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's not great. It's definitely enjoyable in parts, but it is let down with a few, you know, almost bad stories. So is is it a, like above the recommend line? Yeah, I, I would I would recommend someone watch this for the first. I think on a first viewing, it's very enjoyable, but not for a rewatch. No, nah, I've I really felt it fell over on a rewatch. Okay, what are your overall thoughts? Okay, so the problem with most anthology films is that most of them don't have something that really connects each short story to each other. Like for example, there's a lot of horror films that have that have satirized the genre in like recent years, and the only thing that really connects the stories is that they're what they're all horror stories, I guess, which kind of cheapens the film, and ultimately for me kind of makes the you know the anthology word kind of a marketing ploy or a gimmick. But that wasn't the case for Wild Tales for me. I thought Damien Chevron, Damien Chevron, Damien, <laughs> yep, uh, he created six short films. But he connected them with socially conscious themes of revenge, retribution, and he clouds it in some great characters with some dark humor. And the fact that some of these characters get great complex arcs, complete with backstories, a goal for the character, and their interactions with society over the span of like 20 minutes on average, shows the skills of the director and the script mixed together with like with the talented performances of these actors. Some films can't even get us to, to connect with their characters over two hours. You could say that Damien Chevron 
I think I've said his name different every time I've said it so far. (laughs) You could say that he does this six different times every 20 minutes. The dark humor comes from the characters reacting to fairly relatable circumstances in the most extreme ways. Wild Tales weakens the moral walls that hold the majority of us back from performing aggressive acts and shows what happens if we listen to that little voice in the back of our head sometimes. It's an incredibly thought-provoking concept and one that's carried out quite well in this film. Even the opening credits, which we've alluded to, have this theme of primal instincts with the montage of these wild animals. Yep, while all of these positives are strong, when movies can create one feature-length story with the same use of tying recurring themes together, coupled with complex characters and uh, great direction, writing, and acting, I'm going to take that over this anthology film. Don't get me wrong, like this is, this is a good film that excels in showing us that there's a way to make a solid anthology film that we can connect to, but it comes with the task of actually making six very strong stories. And while some are great, like Little Bomb and The Proposal, The Deal, there are some that aren't as strong as the others, and I would probably even skip on a rewatch, which is something I don't want to be doing in a film that is tying these strong themes together and displaying the increased use of these as the story goes along. So while this is a highly enjoyable, thematically strong film, there are some things that are holding it back from being top tier for me. It's still a good film. I agree with you. I probably wouldn't rewatch the whole thing again. If Maybe I would watch one or two, but probably not. I don't think you would. Uh, Can you imagine skipping scenes or chapters yeah. in another movie? Like it just, It's not worth it. Yeah, so it's it's a good film. It's not, like, it's not as good as when you watch it the first time. It's one of those, watch it once and you're good. Okay, so let's get to... I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right then, Dean. Where would you rank this out of the six films we've done so far? Uh, okay, so it's not as good as Once Upon a Time in America. Shocker. Or Die Hard. Shocker. Or Django. Shocker. Or The Prestige. Whoa! <laughs> so I was sort of looking at Vertigo and this movie, trying to decide which I liked better. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to put Wild Tales above Vertigo. Wow. Vertigo is still my lowest ranked film on out of the six we've watched. Okay. Does that surprise you? Yeah, it does a little bit. Okay, where do you have it? So, while I do think this is a good film, I think there is far more to offer in Vertigo. I mean, look how much we talked about Vertigo compared to this film. Yeah, but I enjoyed this film more than Vertigo. I could go and rewatch Vertigo several more times now and get something more out of it every single time. And for that alone... I'm putting Wild Tales at number six on my list. Right at the bottom. Right down at the bottom at number six. You could say it's the sixth best movie we've reviewed. Yeah, put the positive spin on it. <laughs> we may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this oh. could be it. Oh. All right, just the one review this week from, you guessed it, Dean's brother Shane. Dean, will you take it away? Okay, so what we have here is a film from Argentina containing six short stories that have nothing to do with one another. Uh, well, that's, argu- that's arguable. Okay. I guess the overlying theme would be that they're all a bit quirky. Each story has its hook moment that draws in the viewer, though there's rarely any payoff at the tale's conclusion. I laughed a few times in this movie. It has a sense of humour. The characters are well written and unpredictable, and I guess the characters make the stories. Without any overlying arc to join the stories together, the film was always going to be treated as the sum of its parts, rather than as a whole. 
They went places I thought were interesting and I was on the edge of my seat at times, wanting to know what happened next. But alas, there was never really a wow moment with each tale ending below its promises with a shrug of the shoulders. I can admire the uniqueness of this film, but at the same time would rather one great long story as opposed to six okay stories. Fair enough. Yep, thanks for that, Shane. We didn't get a review here, but we did get an email from Adrian who says, Hey guys, just found the podcast recently and went back and listened to all five episodes as well as your top 10 special, and I'm loving it so far. Keep up the great work and funny banter. My question for you is, what are your favorite films that aren't in the top 250? Thanks guys, and once again, keep up the great work. Okay, so looking at my all-time favorites, I would say the number one movie, my favorite movie, that isn't on the IMDb Top 250, is Magnolia, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this movie is very complicated. It's really weird, especially at the end, but the emotion you get with these characters is just on another level. And in particular, Philip Seymour Hoffman is just just breathtaking in this movie. So I did really enjoy Magnolia. Also, I've got Last Samurai there, another one of my favourites, as well as Carlito's Way and The Perks of Being a Wallflower, a little sort of coming-of-age film. All right, fair enough. What about you? So my highest-rated non-Top 250 film for me is Casino Royale, the the Daniel Craig version. Pretty sure you don't need to say that. Well, you never know. (laughs) No, I think that's just... It is obviously the best James Bond film. I'm a James Bond nut, I guess. Well, clearly judging got, by your Moonraker poster yeah, of course. that you're <laughs> showing off so proudly. <laughs> no, I think it's just fantastic practical action. A great story. Daniel Craig brings it as Bond. A really, really solid film. I also have Hero, the Chinese martial arts, I guess that kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon style film with Jet Li. Except 10 times better. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Some of the best cinematography you'll ever see in Hero. Yeah, I totally agree there. I also have my favourite film of 2016, Sing Street. Shattered, that's not in the list, but what can you do? I love that film. Clerks is also, you know, one of my favourites. Could watch that many, many times over. Ex Machina, I love that film as well. And a couple of others, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Saw, the original Saw. Oh, is Saw not in there? No. Oh, Saw's one of my favourite yeah. movies, for just sure. Just the first one. The, the, the rest just turned absolute really, garbage. Yeah, I really feel like if they'd left that at one, that movie would be a lot highly, more highly regarded. Yeah. Because I feel like the rest of the movie is just weak and oh, what they, it actually yeah, is. Yeah, I totally agree there. Uh, and American Psycho and Shaun of the Dead as well are two of my favourites. You know, you could watch those, easily watch those many, many times over. Hmm. So, thanks for that, Adrian. So, what's next? Okay, and now we get to the point in the podcast where we find out what movie we're breaking down next week. Hendo, take it away. All right, random number generator between 1 and 250, and we've got 90. 90, which is... Do you know it? Fucking hell. What is it, Dean? Singing in the Rain. Ah, classic. Classic 50s film. It's in colour. You'll enjoy it. Yes, I have seen it before. All right. So, we'll be talking about Singing in the Rain next week. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So, if you'd like to get your reviews in to us, please email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com and you can contact us on Twitter at imdbjourney. 
So that's going to do it for this breakdown of Wild Tales. Please stick around because we'll be talking about some other films we've been watching. But that's going to do it. <laughs> Just a reminder, now we are entering into spoiler-free territory. So if you haven't seen these movies, don't fear, we will not spoil them. Let's start off with Phantom Thread, which I'm very keen to talk about because of that massive tease you put in on our top 10 list. And I'm really keen to talk about it because I want to hear what you think about it, because you have seen it since then, haven't you, Dean? Yes, I did see it. Uh... So... <laughs> I'll take I'll take the helm on this one. Everyone knows what I think about this already. It was what? my fourth favorite film, and they don't. No one knows what you think. But yeah, man, this film was fantastic. Saying Paul Thomas Anderson is a talented director is an understatement. The way he directs this captivating film is superb. Lovely cinematography, a haunting and somewhat chilling score, and a story that is, while on the surface just a love story is opened up to a tale of like emotional manipulation and the struggles of taking control and power over a relationship. I was glued to the screen when I watched this one. I loved every character and their nuances and fleshed out character arcs that they all go through. But you've got to give credit to these three talented actors. And yes, Daniel Day-Lewis is the big name here, but to me, he's actually outshined by Vicky Creeps and Leslie Manville here. I mean, they all do an amazing job, but the deadpan assertiveness of Manville Cyril and the slow but consistent confidence we see shine over Vicky Creeps' armor, these two are the stars of the film. Dean's looking at me, he's going to bash my head in here. The constant back and forth between Daniel Day-Lewis's Reynolds and Armour is delightful to watch. Watching these two trying to one-up each other and take control of this loving relationship was both intense and hilarious at the same time. This movie is so funny as well. The dry wit humour you get from Day-Lewis is amazing. I urge everyone to check this out. Don't be discouraged by the fact it's set in the 1950s and it's about dressmakers, because that's just the surface. There is so much more to this film than that. I could talk about so much more of this film, but I'll let Dean have his opinion. But this is a fantastic film, one of the best films of 2017. What do you say to that, Dean? Dying to know what you think. Alright, so I was a bit off-put by the it's a 1950s period piece about a dressmaker. So... (laughs) <laughs> when I started watching it, I was just, whew, whew, what an experience. This vehicle for Paul Thomas Anderson is stunning. It's a quiet movie, a slow and careful study, not just of a pedantic dress designer, but of a relationship between two people who have vastly different expectations of what a relationship actually entails. Daniel Day-Lewis loses himself in this role again and is almost matched in performance by his co-star, Vicky Creeps. Yes. <laughs> she is uh, yeah, She is very, very good in it. Yeah. You raved about... Leslie Manville. Leslie Manville, of course. I thought she was fine. I um, didn't really think she had too much to work with, to be honest. So, as you say, um, she just had this quiet confidence the whole way through. But it's so domineering and y- y- she asserts herself into it like she doesn't she doesn't have to do a lot to know her presence you're is right there. she doesn't do a lot she doesn't have to do a lot to to show you that her presence is there but she does anyone can stand in a room <laughs> no she's she's fine like I, I didn't see her and think oh wow great acting 
better than Daniel Day-Lewis in this movie, which is a joke. What do you think about Vicky Creeps not getting nominated, but Leslie Manville getting nominated for supporting? Do you think that Vicky Creeps should have been... Obviously, you, you are going to say that because you think that, and I think, that Margot Robbie shouldn't be up for Best Actor. Do you think Vicky Creeps should have taken over at least Margot Robbie for Best Actress? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. And I think it's probably just because she's not as big a name, Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Like, she... I think that... Um, Vicky Creeps could have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress had she been a lesser entity in this film, had she been a supporting actress. Yeah. Because they do tend to throw supporting um, nominations to lesser known actors and actresses. Yeah, but the thing is, she's she's not... She's actually the top bill of this movie. She is... She is top bill? She yeah, got she, paid the most? She Her name is first on the credits. Her name is first when you look go up and look at IMDb, and that's not alphabetical. She is number one. She is... The driver of this film. She's the antagonist. Yeah. She's the main character in this film. Yeah. Regardless. Truly, both are mesmerizing. Johnny Greenwood's score is gentle and gripping at the same time. I let the credits roll th- right through when I'd finished this movie just to experience more of Greenwood's work. Do you know who Johnny Greenwood is? No, but I think you're going to tell me. He's the brains behind Radiohead. Oh, man, how have you snuck two Radiohead <laughs> references in our podcast is beyond me. Mate, I'm telling you, these people are musical geniuses. And honestly, that aside, Johnny Greenwood is fantastic in this movie. There are some unexpected twists and turns to this movie that some viewers may struggle to get on board with. But personally, especially on a rewatch, the clues are there throughout. A masterpiece of filmmaking. I say especially on a rewatch... Because I watched this movie one morning, and I was so impressed with it, I went and saw it again that night. Now, there are not a lot of films that I watch twice in one day, especially not long period pieces, but this film was so much more than that. Honestly, I just, I kept thinking about it, like day after day, I was just thinking, oh, this this film just, just grips you, like there's so much content in there that gets you questioning about... You know, like status of relationships and where where people want their own like personal lives to be, and they might want to might want to spend their lives with someone else. But if that other person's um, expectations on what they want their life to be unmet, then there's obviously going to be issues. There's going to be fighting. And to see these people experience this and how they deal with it is just mm. yeah. You can you can see this isn't a spoiler, but you can see how. Day Lewis character Reynolds, he's set in his ways. He is this renowned dressmaker who has his routine every day. Yeah, he's revered. Yeah. And then he meets this armor who basically shatters all that. She ta- she challenges him and he's taken aback by it. He's like, Whoa, okay. Yeah. It's not gonna be how I the way that I treat my previous girlfriends and they they, they always, I guess, submit to him. Mm. And the fact that he's met this person who's like, No, I'm not gonna do that. We're going to actually have a relationship here. Hmm. You know, he, he's taken aback by it. And it's, and it's from there where he, he's back and forth between them like, no, you know, I'm going to be in charge. No, I'm going to be in charge. And it's just that, that mashing together was, was joyful. Yeah, so just going back to our last podcast on Top 10 Movies of the Year, this one sits firmly at number two for my, for my best movies of last year. And also gets five stars. Fantastic. The second movie to get five stars from last year for me. I think this film is basically going to be the reason why we're going to push our top ten films of 2018 further yeah. away. 
Because you know we're we're in Australia, uh, you, we don't get Euro, US release dates straight no, away. We don't, and we like to treat these films as as twenty eight or this for this reason twenty seventeen films. Yeah, you know, realistically, we could have had. I'm pretty sure we could have had La La Land in our in our top uh, films of twenty seventeen because yeah, it's is, an Australian release yeah. in twenty seventeen. Which is crazy. Yeah. No, so I think if we're well, if we're still around, which we will be in March, I guess of next year. Yeah. We'll have a, a couple of months to catch up on all these films that we don't receive in December. Yep. And that way we'll have a bit more of a broader scope on some of the films that we should really be watching. Yeah, absolutely. So after seeing this movie, I was a little, um, yeah, I was a bit rekindled with my love of Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day Lewis in particular. So obviously I had to go back and watch There Will Be Blood. A uh, film we will be breaking down some point in the future. We will be. This movie is beautiful. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know, it's weird. Like, I, I've seen it, I think, two times before. I actually saw it at cinemas back when it was released. But I've seen it two times before, but this time just took it to a whole other level for me. There are scenes in here that after the movie was finished, I went back and watched just to watch Daniel Day-Lewis again. Like, they say this is one of the greatest acting performances of all time. And it's, it just shines through like, like nothing I've ever seen before. Maybe De Niro and a few of his, uh, few of his heyday roles. But this Daniel Day Lewis in this film is just, oh, breathtaking. And the cinematography, like it's so beautiful. Like it's set in the early 1900s, and it goes through, you know, a span of 30 or so years. And I feel like what they accomplished in this movie, there's nothing else like it. And after I finished watching this, I reviewed my best of all-time movie list and bumped it up about 40 spots. Nice. Which is massive. Like, Because I thought, I thought, all right, I'll go back to my list and I'll, I'll move a few around and you sort of, you sort of see a movie at, you know, where I put number 50. Like, oh, I've got to move that up. And then you're sort of looking at everything above it and they're all classics. I'm like, oh, I can't drop that down, can't drop that down, can't drop that down. But I smashed. There will be blood up 40 spots. I love this movie so much. Yeah, I won't go too far into it, but I completely agree. Okay. (laughs) And I actually did the same thing sometime last year where there was a movie I had in my top list that I bumped up about 40 or so spots. And it's what you were, it's it's that kind of movie that you were talking about. It is a De Niro Scorsese collaboration that I, well, there's a lot to go through there. So I'll just leave it at that. It's Taxi Driver. (laughs) Very good. Very good. All right, after There Will Be Blood, <laughs> I was still on my P.T. Anderson high. Let me guess, you watched The Master. Almost, <laughs> almost. No, I went and watched uh, Boogie Nights a couple of nights ago. And it's one of his earliest films, and you can tell that by watching it. It's a solid story with some okay characters scattered throughout. Whilst this movie is very similar to um, another one of his films, Magnolia, in its method of telling a story with a massive amount of characters and sort of going through sort of eat a lot of people's different stories, it lacked real emotional weight that you get in spades in Magnolia. There's really no character I'm rooting for here. Sure, we're meant to root for Wahlberg's Dirk Diggler, but I found him so ignorant and delusional through the whole movie that he left me feeling pretty empty with where his character goes. The acting and soundtrack are fine, but it's the way the time period has been captured here that is a standout for me, showing the porn and drug industry in the 70s and 80s in a believable and gripping way. Definitely not my favourite P.T. Anderson movie, especially coming off the back of Phantom Thread and There Will Be Blood, 
but it's enjoyable enough, and I think I'm going to watch Punch Drunk Love next. No, fair enough. Okay, I also watched My Friend Dharma. So I knew very little about the serial killer Jeffrey Dharma going into this movie. It starts out as a pretty standard story about a guy who's a bit of an outcast trying to get through the difficult time that is high school and doesn't really go anywhere from there until the very end when you're cruelly cut off from seeing anything worth watching. The whole movie is a journey to where someone can consider taking another person's life. And whilst that sounds interesting on paper, without seeing what the final destination is, you lose the significance of what you're being shown. All in all, a forgettable movie that told clearly the most ordinary part of an insane killer's life. The documentary I watched after finishing this movie, with interviews with the real-life Jeffrey Dahmer, ran circles around my friend Dahmer. I recommend that if you do watch this movie, you make sure you are well aware of who he is to appreciate the more boring aspects of his life. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll probably just skip that one. Yeah, you wouldn't be missing too much. I also saw Brigsby Bear. So, again, I knew nothing about this film going in except the name, which I thought was actually kind of fantastic for this film. The start of this movie took me on such a ride, playing with like me as the audience, about what this film really is. Is it set inside a TV show? Is it a comedy? Is it a thriller? I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil any of it for people, and I'm sure a lot of listeners haven't seen it or even heard of it, but it's wildly original, surprisingly funny, and genuinely heartwarming. For what this film is, it's worth seeing. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. All I know, I know about the film, all I know is that it has Mark Hamill in it, and that's... It. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I didn't know he was in it. And when he popped up, because he's in nothing really yeah. except Star Wars yeah. and voicing the Joker, it was, it was a good little surprise. Yeah, there. I am looking to check that out, so I will do that uh, soon. Very good. I also saw Chopper. 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 <laughs> so, the, the reason I watched Chopper... Why don't you explain what Chopper is for our international listeners? Yeah, if they okay, don't know. so Chopper is a person, Mark Chopper Reed, who is an infamous standover man who spent most of his life in Pentridge Prison. Yeah. You know, sort of street level gangster in Melbourne. So I actually watched this because there's been a TV show come out here called like Underbelly Chopper that sort of looks at Chopper's life, and that was split in two parts. And on one night, we watched the first part. And I'm sort of sitting there watching it, and this guy who's playing Chomper is just nowhere near as good as Eric Banner. You're basically saying to yourself, why, do, why should I watch this when I can just go watch Chomper? Yeah, exactly right. I'm watching this, and I'm like, this is a waste of time. The movie Chopper is brilliant, and this thing is ordinary. Anyway, the next night, when part two was meant to be on, I actually had my mother and father-in-law come over for dinner, and they, they talked about it, and they said, they watched the night before, they loved it, blah, blah, blah. And I said what I just said to you now, that... It's good, but it's nowhere near as good as the uh, the movie Chopper. And they looked at me like they had no idea what I was talking about. What? Tell me about it. So I immediately pulled out the Blu-ray I had of it and put it on. And we all watched it together. And we were laughing our asses <laughs> off. This movie, I guess it's a comedy. It is so funny. Eric Banner is electric in this movie. The script is sharp and the direction and editing is spot on. I highly recommend Chopper if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit weirded out because I did look at your letterbox and you and I see that you had put this up in your diary and I was like, that's random. What did you watch Chopper for? Because I didn't know there was this underbelly Chopper. That yeah, came yeah, out yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, also had the chance to see Bright Lights, 
the documentary about and starring Debbie Reynolds, who's in Singing in the Rain, I believe. Yep. Nice little tie in there. Yep. And daughter Carrie Fisher is a great look inside the lives of these two icons in the last stages of their lives. If you love these two women, as I'm sure many people do, you would find a touching and insightful film. But if you're like me and don't really <laughs> and don't really have any interest in the personal lives of these two people, then the entire movie becomes a bit meh. It was interesting to learn about Debbie Reynolds and who she was in her heyday and sad to see her inevitable decline in life, but on the whole, Bright Lights didn't really grab me, unfortunately. I saw Black Panther recently, a couple of days ago. It's a good movie. It's not stunning or original, but it is a solid addition to the Marvel franchise. I really don't understand why everyone is saying this is so different to the many other Marvel films. It's really not. Having said that, Black Panther is, expectedly so, entertaining, with a great score and a better-than-usual villain with Michael B. Jordan jumping aboard. There are some great one-on-one fight scenes that really stand out as extremely tense here. You know at this point if you're into Marvel movies or not. If you are, you will like it. If you are not, you won't. The fact that Black Panther is receiving so much more attention for having an almost all-black cast is irrelevant and ultimately unnecessary. Enjoy it for what it is, people. Yeah, it's a... It's a Marvel comic book movie. Yep. Okay, I also saw a foreign film. One that I recommended to you. That you haven't seen. Yeah, no, I'll get to it. Called Bad Genius. So, Bad Genius, if you haven't heard of it, is a Thai film that came out last year about a Thai student who gets paid to cheat on exams. It is based on a true story, and this movie is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> each character each character is so fleshed out and acted superbly, particularly by the lead, whose name I won't even attempt to pronounce. <laughs> the movie is so tense, the atmosphere is electric throughout, and some scenes really had me on the edge of my seat. For a movie about tests in school, it's, uh, it's just... I did not expect to have the, the feelings I was having watching this film. Highly recommend it. And this film does jump into my top 10 for last year as well. Nice. Like, I really, really appreciated this film. How good does it feel when you recommend a movie to someone and they come out like, yeah, it was so good. It, I loved it. It's a good feeling. Just a lazy pat on your own back there, yeah, mate. sure. I also saw the last of the Best Picture nominated films that I hadn't seen, uh, which was The Post. Okay. Now, I know you've seen this. Yes. This is so boring, this movie. <laughs> uh, I cannot get past it. I just kept waiting for something other than boring talking the whole way through. And I uh, like I'm not wanting big action set pieces in this movie or something, but there is so little tension or real plot or any movement to this that it just drags and drags and drags. Now I get if you want to tackle a subject matter about finding documents and the morality of what to do with these important real life documents, you need to do it in an entertaining way. Like all the president's men. Yep. You know, like something like Frost Nixon, which was an amazing film. This movie is so bland. I don't understand how anyone can watch this, walk away going, ho. Oh, Love that movie. That was so entertaining. Yeah. It's so boring. Yep. I struggled to get through it. I did. I did fall asleep and had to wake up and go back and watch it. It's just so boring. Though. Yeah, I do feel like I um, 
you should have seen the commuter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the option to go see the post or the commuter. Yeah, yeah, I can probably... Stupidly chose the post. <laughs> well, well, it's that thing. I would not have gone and seen this if it wasn't a Best Picture nom. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah me too. Yeah. Like, you take out the names of Hank Streep and Spielberg, this movie gets ignored like there's no tomorrow. I also saw the 2018 film When We First Met. I'm a big fan of not just the movie Groundhog Day, but a lot of the body-swapping, time-travelling, introspective movies. So when I heard this was out, of course I saw it immediately. It's light-hearted, the humour is fine, and the overall message is good enough. I had fun with this film. Not exactly a masterpiece in modern filmmaking, but for what it is, it gets the job done. Adam Devine is legitimately funny here, and the premise is interesting. I'd recommend if you're in the mood for a movie, you don't need to think too much about. Yeah, I also saw this movie too recently, and I have seen a couple other films as well, but I thought I would save them for my announcement of my new YouTube channel. It's going to be uploaded and ready to go in uh, maybe a couple of days after the podcast is up. But it's going to be called the Minute Movie Minute. Play on words there, because Minute and Minute are spelt the same. Minute Minute. Yeah, it is too. Yeah. And it's essentially what it says. I'm going to give myself 60 seconds to cram in as much of a review as I can about movies old and new. So that when the... 60 seconds? 60 seconds. You'll be able to get two reviews in. I reckon I would. <laughs> So when the channel's up and ready, you'll get a bunch of reviews right off the bat, including when we first met, as well as other 2018 films, The Ritual and The Cloverfield Paradox. I actually have The Cloverfield Paradox here ready to go, and I'm going to give a sample to Dean right now. We'll be back in just a second. All right, Dean, what'd you think of that? Yeah, that no, was really good. Um, definitely entertaining. I look forward to uh, more and more of these minute minute... Minute movie minutes. Minute movie minutes. Really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll be having the Cloverfield Paradox like you just saw, and some other films I missed from last year, including God's Own Country, Downsizing, and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. So keep an eye out on my Twitter account for the link, or check in the show notes of this podcast if you're listening to this in the future. That's the Minute Minute... Damn it. <laughs> That's the Minute Movie Minute, coming to you soon. Okay, I also said at the start of the podcast I have a new segment to uh, bring out to you guys and Dean. We are going to do a little movie quiz. Pop quiz, asshole. Okay, so... Hold on. So, is this you asking me questions yeah, that you I, know the answer to? No, this is what's going to happen, right? We can do a little bit on this if you like. So, I have looked up the highest grossing worldwide film for the last 30 years... And we'll go through these each year. I'll give you the top three in alphabetical order, and you have to guess which one was the highest grossing for the year. Okay. Okay. Now, would you like to put a bet on this? How many, like, say if you get 20? Are we doing them all? Yeah, let's go through them. You don't want to do, like, one a week or anything? What? what? No. Okay, we'll do them all. Okay. And the audience can play along at home as well. So what do you want to do? How do you want to throw a bet out of this? Uh, do this? Do our, our usual... How many are we doing? 20 years? 30. Down at 1980. 30 years. Okay, so so let's say if I get, what, 15? There's some of these are really easy. I'm giving you three choices, and you can probably some of these you can, you don't even need choices. Oh, I'm not good with years. But once you you hear the the movie, you'll be like, yeah, definitely that. So I I reckon if you get 
more than 20. I Seriously, I think more than 20 and I'll, I lose. And if you get less than 20, I think that's generous. I don't think that's generous. I'm not going half. All right. We'll go 20, but... What do you want to do? Three movies in two weeks or one movie in one week? Um, no, we'll go three in two weeks. Okay, cool. You probably rigged this. Huh? No, this is all off Box Office Mojo. A lot. Boxofficemojo.com. 20 is a lot. All right. Yeah, I'd, nah, I think we should do 15. <sighs> I'm such a generous guy. All right. We'll go 15. 15. That's better. No, 16. All right, 16. You got to get more than 16 half. and a half. 15 and a half. 15 and a half. Okay, you got to get more than 50%. Okay, here we go. Let's start off with this year so far. An easy one for you, I this think. This year? Yep, we'll go this year. We've got 2018. Let's see what movie has made the most worldwide okay. so far. Okay, so is it Black Panther, Fifty Shades Freed, or Maze Runner, The Death Cure? Wow, this is so hard. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because... This is worldwide as worldwide. well. Worldwide. So when did Black Panther come out? Ticking clock. I'll go Black Panther. You are correct. I mean, you got to for those listeners. Black Panther in Australia came out like three days ago. Yeah, it's uh, three hundred sixty-one million at the time of this recording. Okay. All right, that's one for you, Dean. Let's go on to two thousand and seventeen. Is it Beauty and the Beast, The Fate of the Furious, or Star Wars: The Last Jedi? Star Wars: The Last Jedi. <laughs> yes. It's actually, clo- I think it's closer than you think. What was number two? Beauty and the Beast, one point two, one point two billion. Jesus. And Star Wars did about one point three. Beauty and the Beast did alright, eh? Okay, so that's two for you. Alright, let's go on to 2016 here. Is it Captain it's America, Civil War, Finding Dory, or Rogue One, A Star Wars Story? Oh, wow, that's actually tough. I'm gonna say... I know Star Wars is Star Wars, so... It's Rogue One, though. I know Finding Dory did it really, really well. I'm gonna go Finding Dory. You're wrong. Oh. Dory's third. Is it Star Wars? No, it's Captain America. Civil oh, okay. War. Ranked in 1.1 billion. Let's go on to 2015. Is it Furious 7, Jurassic World, or Star Wars The Force Awakens? Star Wars The Force Awakens. You are correct. I thought I might have thrown you off since Jurassic World was the highest yeah. for the American summer. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to 2014. Is it Guardians of the Galaxy? The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, or Transformers Age of Extinction. What a terrible year. <laughs> what was the first one? Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll say Guardians of the Galaxy. No, that was number three. It was Transformers Age of Extinction. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't have ever said that on principle. <laughs> All right, 2013. It's uh, three to you, two to me so far. Is it Despicable Me 2, Frozen, or Iron Man 3? I mean, Frozen was a cultural phenomenon. I'm just trying to think if so much of that was sort of toys. I'm like trying to think, was it really massive blockbuster compared to Iron Man 3? I know that did really, really well. I'll say Iron Man 3. Should have gone with Frozen. It was number Fuck. one. Fuck. <laughs> Three all. 2012. Is it The Dark Knight Rises, Marvel's The Avengers, or Skyfall? The Avengers. Yes. So some of these are quite easy. <laughs> On to 2011. Is it Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, or Transformers Dark of the Moon? Oh my god, <laughs> if it's Transformers again. <laughs> uh, what's the first one? What's number one? Is what's the first f- option I said? Yeah. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows yeah, Part I'll, 2. Yeah, I'll go say, say Harry Potter. You are correct. <laughs> Five to three. Uh, I'm not nervous yet. <laughs> 2010, 
Is it Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, or Toy Story 3? I don't think it's Alice in Wonderland. Say Toy Story 3. Correct. Yes. God damn it. Okay, on to 2009. Is it Avatar? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Give that man a point. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah, it was over. What was... What Harry was... Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 2008. Is it The Dark Knight, Kung Fu Panda, or Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? That sure. was not in alphabetical order. <laughs> Surely it's The Dark Knight. Yep, that's right. See, it should have been 20. It would have been fair. Look at this. 8 to 3. Yeah, but when we oh, get... Oh, yeah, once we get to the... Yeah, once we get yeah. to old movies, well, who knows? Okay, here we go. 2007. Is it... Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, or Spider-Man 3? Ooh, I know Spider-Man did really well. Uh, I'll say Pirates of the Caribbean. Ah, can hell. Yep. This is not going the way I expected. <laughs> Alright, 2006. Is it The Da Vinci Code, Ice Age, The Meltdown, or Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest? we got Pirates of the Caribbean again. Oh, Jesus. Right. <laughs> 10 to 3. Being so generous, I feel like you should. You need to win a bet these days. <laughs> 2005, here we go. Is it The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, or Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith? Uh, I'll go Star Wars. No, Harry mm. Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Oh, Chop one up to Daniel. Well played, Daniel. Thank you. Well played. Yes, I knew it was my wording. That's how I got <laughs> my inflections. 2004, is it... Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Shrek 2, or Spider-Man 2? Shrek 2. Yes. Yes, it is. So it's 11 to 4. I'm not, I'm not out of it yet. I'm not giving up. 2003. Is it Finding Nemo, The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, or The Matrix Reloaded? Mm, I'll say Lord of the Rings. Yep, uh, that's, uh, that's correct. <laughs> 2002. Is it Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, or Spider-Man? I don't think it's Harry Potter. First Spider-Man or the second Lord of the Rings. I'll say Spider-Man. Lord of the Rings. Mm. Needed that one. Right, so what do you need? You need four more. <sighs> okay. 2001. Is it Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? Or the Philosopher's Stone in Australia? The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring? Or Monsters, Inc.? Okay, it's not Monsters, Inc., First Harry Potter or the first Lord of the Rings? I feel like Harry Potter was massive. And so was Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you watch, I'll say, yeah, uh, I'll say Harry Potter. Fuck. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. 2000. Here's where I'm hoping that some of these can come my way. Is it Castaway, Gladiator, or Mission Impossible 2? Mm, gee, I hope it's Gladiator. I'll go Gladiator. Mission Impossible 2. What? Yeah. Mission Impossible 2 is the highest grossing movie of a year. 546 million. Oh. 1999. Is it The Sixth Sense, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, or Toy Story 2? Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> 14 to 6. It's, uh, it's looking grim, fans <laughs> of Daniel. <laughs> 1998. Is it Armageddon, Godzilla, or Saving Private Ryan? Ooh. That's tough because obviously Saving Private Ryan has a very high restriction rating on age. Not sure what it is in the States, but it's MA here, so that does limit. What are the other ones? Um, Armageddon and Godzilla. I'll say Godzilla. Armageddon. Mm. Oh, we need a good run here. 
1997. Is it The Lost World Jurassic Park, Men in Black, or Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, gee, Lost World was good. Yeah, Men in Black was really good. Yeah, okay. Titanic. You are correct. Lost World made 600 million. Titanic made 2.1 billion. <laughs> <laughs> One more for the win. 1996. This is going to be crazy if you miss all these now. Is it... Independence Day, Mission Impossible, or Twister? Independence Day. Yeah, fuck. Easy. That was an easy one. Alright. Yep, you got that. Let's see if you can hit 20 anyway. Alright. 1995. Is it Apollo 13, Die Hard with a Vengeance, or Toy Story? Toy Story. Yep. 1994. Is it Forrest Gump, The Lion King, or True Lies? Ooh. The Lion King. Yes. You said you couldn't even get 20. You're nearly there. Nearly at 30. <laughs> <laughs> 1993, man. <laughs> Jurassic, is it Jurassic Park? <laughs> the other two were Mrs. Doubtfire and the Fugitive. Uh, <laughs> like, Jurassic Park doubled Mrs. Doubtfire number two. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think this through. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. oh my god, 1991. Is it Beauty and the Beast, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, or Robin Hood Prince of Thieves? Terminator 2? Yes. So there's your 20. Nice. Now you won't suck about losing. Two more. Is it, for 1990, is it Home Alone, Ghost, or Pretty Woman? I'm well aware that G comes before H. <laughs> um, Home Alone, Ghost, or Pretty Woman? I feel like it could be Home Alone. Nah, it's Ghost. Just, get that, just put that point there just for... Proudly. Yeah, to, you know, save some face. Last one, 1989. Is it Back to the Future Part 2, Batman, or Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? I don't think it's Back to the Future. Surely, Batman. Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Ooh. So, so you... Oh, you got 10? 20. You got 20. 20 yeah, to 10. That would have been that would been quite epic if you did the 20. And I got a... Oh, I missed one. Doesn't matter. And I got a gentleman's 10. <laughs> so... <laughs> all right. Okay, so the three movies of Pick For You, running with the theme of Paul Thomas Anderson that we've uh, been discussing today, will be his one of his earliest films, if not his first... Hard Eight. Okay. Uh, one of his more recent films, which I cannot stand, and I'm interested to see what you think of it, The Master. All right. And on an unrelated note, a little gem of a movie that I adore called An Education. Okay. That's pretty good for me because I was just gonna, I was just considering the other day I was just going to do a Paul Thomas Anderson marathon, <laughs> so that works well with me. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy to of those three films. Uh, you'll be looking for those reviews coming up. Very good. All right, so that's going to do it for this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week for Singing in the Rain. All right. All right. See you guys. Bye.